And go. this ball in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because you will save 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life-altering Strava Craft Coffee. I, of course, am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And on this episode, Patrick, we've got to discuss a 9-3 loss for the Colorado Rockies at the hands of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you'd be forgiven for thinking, if that's all you heard, uh, that this was just a beginning-to-end beat down by the better team over the inferior one and that that's that. And while there may be almost as simple an explanation for this game, uh, it it was not quite so. This one hung in the balance in a 2-2 tie there late. And and Patrick, I'll go ahead and say this to, to start things off. Something I almost never say, something in fact I oftentimes to, I think, the frustration of, of many listeners and viewers and readers out there um, have gone out of my way not to say, I think this loss goes on the manager. I I think it is very difficult to justify putting Carlos Estevez into a 2-2 two to two game right now at Coors Field against the Los Angeles Dodgers, a game you're hanging on to, and even sticking with him as long as he did when he very clearly didn't have it. But Carlos has not pitched well lately. And uh, you've got three other guys. My first thought was, man, how, who else are you going to go to? My second thought was Michael Givens or Yancy Almonte. You've made the point on this podcast many, many times, I, I believe very well, about how your best reliever actually should be the guy that goes into a situation exactly like this one. And your second best reliever, Daniel Bard, is a guy you got to save for the ninth. So you take Daniel Bard out of the equation. That gives you Givens and Almonte to go to in this key situation. And you never get to see either of those relievers in what was a close game because you go to Carlos Estevez, who's sitting on a seven-whatever ERA. And I've defended Carlos as much as anybody. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll get it back. In a longer season, I'd be, you know, preaching patience on Carlos Estevez. But right now, he doesn't have it. Against the Dodgers, he hasn't had it. In this game, he didn't have it, and he coughed it up. And that's not just on Carlos, but that's, you've got to, as Bud Black, you've got to go to your best reliever in that situation. 
And nobody right now thinks that the Colorado Rockies' best reliever is Carlos Estevez. Michael Givens was the guy in that spot unequivocally. Um, he didn't pitch on Wednesday. Uh, I don't think we saw him on Tuesday. Of course we didn't because Antonio sends a tell to a complete game. So that's right. That's right. And Unless he's got go. a stomach bug we don't know about. That's yeah. right. And as much as you may want to think, hey, the Rockies need to sweep the Dodgers if they're going to salvage the season in any shape or form or even win three out of four, well, you just need to win the game that you're playing on this particular day because the Rockies just haven't won a lot of games where they can get, get them where you can. Right, right. Get them where you can. And it's it's kind of ironic that Michael Givens is the guy that should have been used here and you never got a chance to see because he was, of course, teammates from one of the most notable players who was never used in a key spot, that being the 2016 American right. League wildcard game. And Buck Showalter doesn't go to his best reliever in Zach Britton. Right. And lo and behold, he loses that game. So right. this by no means is you know equivalent to that. We'll have forgotten this game in, in a couple weeks' time, nevertheless. But it is an example of maybe believing in the wrong guy at the wrong time, not going with the obvious choice, and just not going after the victory at all costs. Because you know what? Even if you went with Daniel Bard, great. Because that's a spot where if you give up a couple runs, if you let those two runners on base that Kyle Freeland had there when he came out of that game, if those runs score, you're never getting to Daniel Bard in the first place. So go to him. Why not? You'll figure it out down the line. But don't lose the game in that spot. And I would I tend to agree with you. Not tend, I 100% agree with you. Bud Black did not do that, and that was the difference in this game. That is why the Colorado Rockies lost right. the Dodgers Thursday night. And, of course, you can't guarantee that they, they go on to win the game. Of course. You know, but but it, it, not even the, the loss, but the state of the loss, the the epicness of the loss, that the game got completely out of control. Uh, that's that's on the manager right there. And, and he's put the team in a really tough spot because then you do have to start handing the ball to guys like Jairo Diaz, who's been searching for it all year, and then ultimately going, well, let's see if Wade Davis has anything at all because this game has gotten out of hand. But like that's that's the spot that, that, that you've put yourself in there by not going to your plus side relievers late in a tie game against the Dodgers. That's a, that's a it is a, it's Christmas morning for my good friend, Daniel Miller, uh, who I, I often dodge your questions about the coaching staff. And by the way, Daniel, phenomenal supporter of the local wrestling scene. Great guy. Uh, you you got to appreciate Daniel for his everyday love of the Colorado Rockies, despite what they obviously put him through. But uh, you're right on this one. And Patrick, I talked yesterday more than I have in a very long time about Dave Magadan as well. And I think this is going to start becoming a bigger part of our conversations moving forward. And it's, it's difficult, as I said yesterday, so I want to get you to weigh in on this, to not reach conclusions with a lack of information because we don't know exactly what Dave Magadan is saying to guys, and we don't know how much they're listening and how much what they're doing has to do with him. And as I said yesterday, Nolan Arenado had Dave Magadan as his hitting coach last year, and he had a career year. So 
what's the problem this year? That said, philosophically speaking now, we are seeing a lot of old school managing of the Colorado Rockies upstairs in the front office and down in that dugout. And it, and it's costing the team more and more the offensive approach uh, again tonight left so much to be desired. And you, you do have to start asking these questions about the coaching staff when you know it's a talented offense, maybe not as talented as some people think they are, but get past, you know, if you don't think Ryan McMahon's ever going to be a dude, fine, take him out of the conversation. Trevor Story and, and Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman and, and Daniel Murphy should be hitting better than this. And that poses the philosophical question at some point. I think this is getting to a point in which someone will probably lose their job over this. And, you know, Daniel uh, is curious about who should manage the team next season. Maybe Bobby, the brain Heenan. I mean, <laughs> Paul Heyman. Again, we're just bringing it back to, to pro wrestling. Now to get Top two managers of all time, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you got to go with the best of the best, but you know, your, your question was about, you know, being old school. You're right. Now, Dave Magna has a really great track record. Buddy Black, great. He was the guy that I wanted. Same. When, same, yeah. It was, you, you assumed Ron Renneke was going to get the job because uh, they're not going to maybe go out and, and pay for the, the guy right. that's going to need to make the most money or the most logical choice. Let's bring a pitcher's type manager into Coors Field. And we saw that impact on the team immediately in 2017 and 2018. So, okay, maybe maybe it's not Magadan, maybe it's more Buddy, but I, I think you might even need to look even higher up because we live in an age in, in 2020, and it's been this way for several years for several MLB teams, is that managers don't get to do a lot of managing. They are managing the bullpen from time to time. They might manage late in the game for those matchups but ultimately every decision that's made in the starting lineup and just the philosophical approach to whether you're stealing bases or if you're going after those three-run home runs and you, you live and die with those strikeouts they all come from upstairs and all of those decisions are not made by a general manager who has a preference or a predilection for a certain way of playing it is all backed up by analytics you have a right. staff of team. You have millions of dollars invested in guys that are pushing buttons and can look and say, well, according to this math that we've invented, uh, we've, we've, we've got our, our, our own uh, way of, of going about business. It's proprietary. This is the best team over 162 games. Yes, they, this guy might you know, have his slumps, but we need to stick with this guy in this leadoff spot or in the cleanup spot because of what he does, et cetera, et cetera. And the computers say over a normal 162-game season, this is who should be in the lineup. Here's who should start. Here's maybe where we can platoon and he do this, that, and the other. And really, at the end of the day, the manager is in charge of 10% to 15% of what goes on in the game. And some of that could be right. going on with the Rockies right now. But I think from what we've seen in this starting lineup and in the rotation, it's pretty much by the book how it, it seems it would go. Maybe because there's not a ton of options or maybe just because the guys that are in the lineup are the guys who deserve to be in the lineup. So that 
definitely seems to be by the book. So I'm not sure where you, where you cut it. If, if the GM and the analytics department are not given enough information to Bud Black and his staff, or if Bud Black and his staff are in control of all this and they're the ones pushing the wrong buttons. But I, I don't think you, in, in the game today, I don't think you give the manager that many options. I think the manager should be in charge of 15%. And it's weird because I'm an old school guy. But the analytics should drive the decisions in the starting lineup in different scenarios and situations. And that should be a large majority of it. And right. I don't think that's the case here. I was going to say, and, and, and I think that's, you know, <laughs> that's clearly not what's happening. Because if the analytics were driving the decision-making process, there's no way that Carlos Estevez is coming Absolutely. into that game. And in right. fact, if, if the analytics were driving the decision-making process, and here's where I think it, that that philosophy actually gets tested. Now, more on other teams where they might consider doing something like this, but again, where you and I might sort of bang our heads against the wall and go, Nolan Arenado should be batting fifth at highest in this current lineup if you're letting the numbers do the talking. And I, I've got to... You know, usually I toast my Breck broom to somebody I, I think has done well. And we'll talk a little bit about Kyle in just a minute here. And I, th I thought he pitched well tonight. But I have to drink this Breck brew out of frustration for another offer for Nolan Arenado. Um, just ugly at bats. Two pop-ups on the infield. An easy ground out to the shortstop there in his final at-bat. He did have one where he drove it semi-deep, not quite warning track into the outfield, and there's his four ABs for the evening. And it just, you know, he needed Kevin Pillar to pick him up there in the first. Uh, left him there. You know, he's got a run out there at second. They've already scored one. Nolan Arenado time, right? little base hit back up the middle. How many hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times have we seen him just line drive single right back where it came from? And he pops up on the infield, like on the second pitch of the at-bat. Kevin Pilar has to pick him up with a two-out single up the middle. Um, yeah, I was. I went back to the um, StatCast page, remember, uh, the, the Baseball Savant page that we were looking at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, almost all of the stats have stagnated or gone down. He's, he's worse in terms of expected batting average, exit velocity, barrel percentage. There's... There's nothing at the plate that he's doing well right now, and it's killing this team. He's playing banged up. It's that it's his yeah. left AC joint. He's just not able to generate the power that he's known to generate. And because of that, I, I think that's even a better reason to drop him down to fifth there because I think Pilar has been a, a very solid run producer so far. He's been much better offensively than I, I kind of gave him credit for or, or I thought that he'd be able to contribute. Um, so I think Nolan would understand, like, yeah, you know what, I'm not really doing what needs to be done, and, and I want to win games. So if we win more games with me batting fifth, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. You know, th this game was was a um, kind of a, a microcosm of the entire season. They yeah. go up early. They go up early. 2 nothing right there in the first. Fantastic. You got solid started pitching from Kyle Freeland, which we'll get yep. to. Uh, the middle innings were embarrassing, much like that was the case for the Rockies. Mm -hmm. The all bullpen season, coughs yeah. it up. Okay, that's happened all season. And like you said, Nolan Arenado 
struggles to produce. Yep. This entire season was this game. And Ryan Maltapia got on base a couple of times, despite not really, yeah, despite not really doing much, but being a spark plug, getting things started. I, I joked the other day <laughs> that if you were putting together a, a, an honest highlight reel for the Colorado Rockies offense right now, it would just be a montage of Ryan Maltapia jogging back to the dugout from second and third base, just, just jogging back in, just. That's that's what the Rockies offense looks like right when now. When he scored on that Charlie Blackman sacrifice fly in the first, yeah. he slid ten feet past home plate. Like it, when you watch so the slow mo you, you, you saw that, right? When you oh, see the slow mo, you're like, yeah. okay, he's gonna stop and like he keeps going and go and in slow motion it's just like in this never ending clip of him just sliding and going forward and forward he almost gets to the grass uh, on the on the cutout behind home plate like yeah. that that was uh that was kind of impressive yeah that, that, that was a pretty great slide not quite tony kemp uh from from the, the game before that was insane uh but yeah no i think Rymel was just so happy to see home plate <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 had been such a long time but yeah, man, I, I think you're right. This this game was just a, an absolute microcosm of the season, the way it's gone for the Rockies, even you know, limping to the finish here. We'll see how it all goes down, but brutal, just not much to point to. They got the, like you said, the two runs there in the first, and offense more or less fell silent after that. Uh, Kyle Freeland, let's go. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's go ahead and give out our draft king of the game to the only member of the Colorado Rockies you really could have given this thing to, and that's Kyle Freeland with his six and a third innings pitched, six hits, four earned runs, two of them, you know, really kind of at least half charged to Carlos Estevez. They were inherited runs, a couple of walks, five strikeouts, and really he navigated. You know, he navigated this incredible Dodgers lineup into the seventh and, uh, you know, began the game with a beautiful, beautiful back foot hall of fame pitch slider to Mookie Betts. Like that thing is just, Ooh, when he's throwing that, you know, you, other teams are, they're gonna have a hard time, but, uh, he did have the one inning, where he ended up getting hit pretty hard that whole inning uh, where the Dodgers scored. I'm trying to remember. Was that the third or the fourth? The fourth? Um, uh, fourth inning is when they got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, the fourth inning. And he got a little bit lucky even on one of the outs. So, uh, you know, it was like a 105-mile-an-hour line out to center field. Uh, so so he, was, he was playing with fire a little bit there. The Corey Seager home run, that's a bad hanging changeup. That ball got smashed. Uh, but then, and again – you know, like if, if this had ended up being a three to two loss at the hands of the Dodgers, I would have spent 20 minutes talking about this play already. Enrique Hernandez. Kike. I look, bruh. Okay, look. All right. Um here's a here's another phrase I don't say on this podcast very often, Patrick. That was Bush League. I hated that. I absolutely like he leaned into that ball and he did it on purpose. The first time I thought, I thought, oh no, no, it's just part of his normal stride. His his butt went back, his elbow went forward, 
He's wearing that guard. I don't even think the ball hits him if he's not wearing armor, which I believe should be outlawed, by the way. I, I've always hated that. It began with Barry Bonds, and it never went away. I don't think you should be allowed to wear that stuff and hang over the plate. That's a terrible job by the umpire. Again, this is not why the Rockies lost the game. No, we, we did our 18 minutes on why the Rockies lost the game, all right? <laughs> I, I did. But that's, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. It's an 0-2 count. He's been barely hanging in there. Uh, Will, the the rules actually do not state that the batter has to try to get out of the way, but they do state that you can't make a move. You can freeze totally, and if the ball hits you, it hits you. But if you make a move toward the ball, and that's what requ- uh, makes it hit you, that's not supposed to count as a hit batsman. In my mind, that that's exactly what happened there. Patrick, am I... My way out of line no, you, there. You nailed it. That one of the worst uh, games I ever had to umpire. I did a great job, but I was by myself, so I did not have uh, uh, an ump on on uh, first base or a field ump. So I was had to call out guys at second base on a stolen base, even though I was behind home plate. All you got, all you can do is take two, three steps up to get a little bit closer. The ball beat the guy. Called him out. Third base uh, coach was like, hey, how can you call this guy out? He said, he looked like he was out. I can't, I can't do any better. I'm, I'm all by myself. And, and l- later in the same game, same team, curveball comes in. Kid thinks it's a fastball. So he goes to try to get out of the way, realizes this is a curve, and then he gets back into his stance and eclipses part of his helmet. Well, he was out of the way of the ball. He moved back in, and that's what hit him. And I said, should I do it? I guess I got to, even though I was the only person in, in the ballpark that day yep. that saw that, I said, no, come back here. It's not a hit by pitch. You, you moved in the way of the ball. Yeah, but it hit him in the, it hit him in the, the head and the helmet. But he moved towards the ball because it was, it was just a spinner. It was real slow. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's a difficult call to make. For the pros, that's easy. You can see that kind of movement. You should be... You should be able to see that very easily as, as part of your peripheral vision. It's really not even that peripheral. It is right there. So that's just, just a, a call you, you make. And like you said, when you've got all that protection on and whatnot, you, you, you know what's going on there. Josh Donaldson knows what he's doing. Yep. Um, when, when he's got that, that padding, and he knew what he was doing when he crossed home plate to them at home run. <laughs> yep. Make sure I love you check that clip I love, out. I love people going like, what? He just kind of skipped weird. He just happened to kick a little dirt on them. No, he didn't. Now, don't take away the credibility of what Josh Donaldson did, by the way. How dare you rob him of his agency in that moment? That was that was awesome. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, but but you do I that. You know what I mean? If Kike yeah. Hernandez if Kike was on your team though, Drew, you'd be like, I love this guy. He's a gamer. Oh. He's gonna do what he's gotta do. You know, there there it's isn't the any umpire. Yeah. That's right. Anybody out there that's going, hey man, that's smart. Like my mom, every time. Raimal Tapia jumps out of the way of a pitch, and he did it in the first at-bat today. Now, that one almost hit him in his dome, and yeah. so you got to get out of the way of that. But he, he he jumps, jumps. So every time he does, my mom sends me a text that goes, he's a leadoff hitter. Get on base. Let that hit you, Tap. What are you doing? And she's got a point. He will. He's going to add that to his game next yeah. year because they're going to say, hey, Raimel, you've earned this spot as the leadoff hitter. Like, he's shown enough where he has earned that spot. I think they want to give it to him. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. They can move him. But if he can add that element of like, you know what, maybe move in on the plate a little bit, 
take some pitches, bulk up that tricep muscle just a little bit more. Put on some armor. Apparently it's legal. Why not? Absolutely. Then, you know what? He's going to add, I think, that facet to his game because that's going to keep him in the game a lot longer. Look, look up the stats. Look at look at a guy like Ron Hunt, who's a name that uh, I would not know. Yes, I would not know if it was not for the Society for American Baseball Research. Go to Saber.org, sign up, become a member if you're out there, and they do they give out so many great free publications if you're a member. And Ron Hunt is a guy who stuck around in the league forever with the Expos because he got hit at such an inordinate rate, got getting hit by pitches that it was insane. The dude just basically got up there. He was like a human pincushion for fastballs. So he did that. That extended his career. Ryan Maltapia, not saying he needs to worry about extending his career, but you know what? He's going to make himself that much better if he's getting on base more. Other teams might take notice and say, hey, we'll offer this much for the kid. He gets an extension. Maybe the Rockies say, no, no, no. Look at what he's done this past offseason. Look what he's added to his game. Now we want to are the ones who want to give him an extension. These are the little things that you can do to be successful and help your team. Those those intangibles. I've had a lot of conversation today about Josh Fuentes and intangibles with, uh, well, I'm not going to say who it was with, but some very notable names within Major League Baseball's ranks and the one word that kept coming up was intangibles. Yeah. And 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 and, and nobody that I talked to really felt like, hey, Josh Fuentes is going to be an all-star. Because I don't think he will be. I think in a, in a best-case scenario, he could go out, have a huge first three months, and maybe slide in um, on a bench. But ultimately, I don't think he's going to be an all-star. But what he could be is a contributing member for a team, uh, a linchpin of a really quality club, batting sixth or seventh in the lineup, gold glove caliber defense at first base. And bringing those intangibles, and that's something that Ryan Altapia has been able to show so far in this abbreviated season. And it gets you excited to think about, hey, what would this look like over 162 game haul? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, a, a lot of people ready to start looking to the future already. I, I see your questions there, Joseph, about extending Trevor Story and all of that. Those are. Those are long-term questions. We're going to have plenty of time to, to jump into that. It's all going to, that really depends on what happens with Nolan Arenado. And that, that will continue to be uh, the ongoing question. And Patrick, I see you saying here, you know, if he's planning on leaving, he's, he's killing his stock. And I, I will say that's one of the silver linings about a, a 60 game season. There's only so much rust that Nolan Arenado can put on his resume that like, look, yeah, I, I think teams are already, sort of unwilling to give the Rockies a bunch of their top prospects for Nolan. We've kind of seen that already that the teams were, weren't offering top dollar for him. And if that's the case, then fine, keep him. Uh, because as, as Patrick and I have said many times, like the opt out becomes a lot less intriguing for both him and major league baseball and the economy. There's a, there's a million more questions around that opt-out than there used to be. So the Rockies are actually in a pretty solid situation there where they don't really have to start thinking about these questions just yet. And unless a team blows them away, they can hang on to Nolan until a more normal year where he's playing more normally. And if they're still not performing, then you trade him for what he's 
worth. And then you turn around and give his contract to Trevor Story so that he doesn't leave. And I think that's kind of the general thinking on on that right now. Yeah, it's going to be hard to to afford both those guys. But as you said, right. in the state of the world right now, you know, before before late February, we could not have guessed that a there would be a pandemic that would ravage you right. know, the entire world and thus the economies of, of all the countries in the world, thereby saying what is and all the, the baseball agent worth and yeah. all of baseball and all of and all of pro sports. Right. And now you have such uncertainty, and which is precisely what owners would love, right? Um, you know, owner owners love that kind of uncertainty where they can say, ah, you know what, sorry we can't offer this much. We have to offer much less. And you know what? They might offer little to nothing is another piece too, is we don't know what teams will be able to go out and say, you know what, we're okay with, you know, with, with approaching those dangerous sections. We, we've seen in the last few days, so many teams have uh, laid off scouts, um, right. league baseball teams, you know, have, have had to lay off so many people and they're already on such a skeleton crew when it comes to the off season with, with only, you know, a handful of full-time employees. So now with, with, you know, professional sports teams needing to, to cut back on payroll, the easiest, one of the easiest ways to do it is giving out multi-million dollar contracts, right? We're just, we're talking about scouts losing their job and collectively, <laughs> maybe they make a million, two million dollars. Right. Whereas one, you know, in one negotiation for a player, you may need to increase your offer by two million dollars for every year for seven years. Yeah. So that's an easy way to kind of be able to cut back on that. So maybe because of this pandemic and, and certainly you would never make this trade, uh, but because of it, maybe you can figure out a way to afford Trevor story for the long haul. Right. But maybe because of that, anybody in between Charlie Blackman, whose contract you can't move Nolan Arenado, whose contract you ultimately can't move. And now Trevor story's contract who, you're signing him to an extension, somewhat friendly, but at the same time in an un- in an uncomfortable market. Anybody else, you can't afford their contract. Right. So we're going to go with a stars and scrubs approach. So as great and as affordable as Hermen Marquez is, we can't afford to pay a guy eight million dollars because we we just have our stars. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I don't. That, um, that's that's an awful yeah. uh, that's an awful recipe. That, right. That's right. Uh, not the way to go. That is not the way to go. But it wouldn't shock me if uh, ownership erred on the side of keeping their stars and get rid of, getting rid of everyone else. So you might get your wish, but careful what you wish for. Sure, yeah, right. That that that's kind of interesting, right? It's like as, as as much as fans get frustrated over a lot of the stuff the front office does, the the fans do kind of overwhelmingly want them to keep those star players, and and that's what it costs. You know, it costs a lot of money, and when you're a mid market team, you can only afford to do that a couple of times, really. I think we might be losing. Oh, you're back. I get your audio. Am I on? We got you. Yep, good. You're good. Oh, and now he's gone. So yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the Rockies do coming up with the, these next couple off seasons. But you know, this game tonight, Thursday night, definitely did not do Colorado any favors for 
rolling into the off season with, with a lot of positivity. And the one frustrating thing is, you know, you look at some of the names of the guys on the alternate uh, site on, on that roster of, of 60, 60 man players. There's not a lot of exciting names on that list either. You mentioned Ryan Rawlson, you know, Colton Welker maybe, but a lot of these guys that are available there, even if the Rockies go ahead and promote them and say, Hey, let's see what we've got. Let's see what kind of magic we can have for the final you know, 10 games of the season, I don't know that they're going to catch lightning in a bottle like they did with Sam Hilliard last year and say, wow, look at some of the, we're, we're going to not do addition by subtraction, but the addition in the offseason are guys we already have that are on our roster. They're, they're kind of just stuck. This is, these are the guys they got. They got Fuentes, they're rolling him out at first base. You like to see that. They're giving him an opportunity. Sam Hilliard, he did get options to the alternate site before Thursday's game. David Dahl's back. You need another left-handed outfield bat? Always. <laughs> 92 of them. Give me more left-handed outfield bats. So, you know, the, the Bud Black and, and, and the team, is they're doing the best they can as far as rolling out a, you know, a, a somewhat competitive roster, but unfortunately there's not going to be those same bright spots to look forward to like last year with Hilliard. Even Dom Nunez was a guy where you go, hey, you could dream on this guy. Maybe. Fuentes also got I was going to say, you know, you know I, I think there are, there are some, but then there's the question of whether or not the Rockies will, will give him the opportunities and whether or not, you know, they'll, they'll put the right players around them to succeed or put them in the right opportunities to succeed yeah. or, or, right. or whether the, you know, Brendan Rodgers is still out there. And I know people aren't sold on the kid, but he's 23. I'm not giving up on Brendan Rodgers. A lot of the guys on this, you know, Josh Fuentes and, and uh, Sam Hilliard didn't debut until they were 25. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Dom Nunez, definitely not giving up on him. Uh, Castellani, Lambert, Rollison, that's a solid little trio of, you know, especially if you go out in the offseason, you do a thing, and those guys are battling for, you know, that's your five, six, seven, or your six, seven, eight, instead of your has to be four or five, then they're okay. Right. Like you said, you know, and then it's not that long until you start getting to the Zach Veens and, and all that. That's still going to be a little bit further away. You, you, you've got to bridge that gap one way or the other. And that's what a trade of, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting into off season talk. There are a lot of you still watching this. I, do you guys know the Rockies lost nine to three today? Um, but, but what are the silver linings? What 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 can we look forward to for the final ten games? I mean, Fuentes is one of those stories. Sure, can he do it. Can he sustain himself? You would have liked to have seen more Sam Hilliard, unfortunately, before his right. option. I mean, the big thing for me still remains the starting pitching, Patrick. And and yeah. and I know it's it, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, and it actually makes it worse when the offense doesn't perform and the bullpen blows up uh, like this. But you really look at these starters, and you can. I think we can very firmly say again now after tonight, not sure if I remembered, uh, remembered, uh, reminded everyone to use that promo code DNVR for our draft king of the game, Kyle Freeland. But the way Kyle Freeland has been pitching this season, yeah, 2019 was the aberration. Very poorly timed aberration, but an aberration for Kyle Freeland. Um, Armand Marquez, maybe not the ace we thought he would be, but still continues to be very good, and you see that potential for it there. Antonio Sensatella really does appear to have taken that next step. So you see these guys continue to do that, and you can feel good about building your team, whether you've got to trade Nolan or not, whether you've got to make a big move 
or Charlie or somebody or free up money or whatever you think you need to do. If you feel confident in Freeland Marquez, Gray to some extent and Sensatella moving forward, then there's a lot of things you can do with this team. And I think those are all the silver linings. Keep getting good starting pitching because any team that's got good starting pitching, you can build a winner around. Whether they do or not, that's what we're all here to, to watch and critique and and you know yell and scream over them making the moves or not. But if you got the starting pitching, you can build a winner. So let's let's see what happens with that. Castellani, throw him in that group as you mentioned. Yep. You know, maybe maybe you got a guy, maybe you got a number five guy, or maybe you got a guy that you just put on a on a, on a major showcase that another organization loves, and and they're going to go ahead and give you an arm for your bullpen. Can't have enough of those guys. Nope. Nancy Almonte is another guy that you're saying, okay, he's kind of coming into his own. So you're right. There are those players, not not prospects that you know I've you've been dying to see forever, but they're just young guys that have come through the system. And they're finally getting that opportunity where, okay, you're the guy, right? You've gotten the taste of it before, but now you're the guy. And I think Tapia falls in that group too. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I know last year he really, you know, finally, you know, got that step up both in his performance and the opportunity. But I think you're still seeing him get that opportunity where, you know, if, if things go, go right with Blackman, Dahl, and Hilliard, I could have very well seen Tapia been the odd man out. If you had a, if you had four outfielders right. really getting the job done, I would have said, I think Tapia would be the one they'd be more inclined to move away from, but no, he's still getting that time. So there are those players. Uh, in addition to just being able to see Trevor story, hit his 11th home run. Like he did not totally cashing out at the end of the ball game. And Charlie Blackman chasing 330. But, you know, hey, still potentially chasing a batting yeah, title. And Nolan thing. Arenado, who might not be doing it at the plate, but anytime a ground ball goes to the left side, you're going to be Boy. excited. So there's still plenty to enjoy because I know I'm as disappointing as tonight's loss is and Wednesday's loss and, and just how the season has gone. Uh, I'm very sad to know that for me, Friday, tomorrow, uh, will be my last game at, at Coors Field for the season. And it's going to be a long time until another one. And it seems like we just got baseball back. So right, right. It's very sad. And, and as again, as frustrating as the season might be, as disappointing as the season might be, this is the last taste of it. And even though yeah. the, the win-loss record might not totally represent how you feel, you know, there are those small wins and losses that you can still see on a game-to-game basis that will make you smile and, and make you feel glad that you're a Rockies fan. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there were still a couple of them out there tonight. How about the the cousins getting together on a couple of nice defensive plays and more stuff from Toppy. And as we said, Freeland continuing to show that those things are behind him. And uh, yeah, so we'll be here for all of that. You got to stick with us for all of it. You got to make sure you're following us on social media at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman. You're subscribed to the dnbr.com so you don't miss out on any of the written content plus you get discounts on hats shirts masks you get bigger beers down here at the dnvr bar if you're a member we try to take care of you in every possible way 